Our scripture this morning again comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, and this will be the last time you'll hear it, at least for a while. It is the ending of a five-week series that uh, the church has been going through on being sent. So hear now God's word for us. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began teaching by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So again, the sermon series that you have been part of the past five weeks is the series called Sent. And today it wraps it up, and I know we started... Five weeks ago, or what, four weeks ago, where Chris talked about what happens when we get out of balance. Uh, and then each of the following weeks after that, um, the first week was about proclaiming good news. Uh, what does that look like? Why do we have to do that? Uh, and then a couple weeks ago, um, Chris preached about um, protecting, protecting the, the most vulnerable and, and talked about that being what pure religion is, according to uh, the writer James. And, and last week, I got to talk a little bit about providing for the needy. It's really hard to hear good news. It's really hard to, to, to try fixing systems if we don't get down to the basic needs of people and make sure we're meeting them, um, both physical and emotional and, and spiritual needs. But um, part, part of our job is to figure what that is. Um, today, I get to kind of wrap it all up for Chris, uh, for the church, and, and talk about what balanced mission might look like. And uh, today, rather than doing a three-point sermon, I'm going to share three stories. Uh, and so before I launch into that, uh, let me... Um, Say a prayer for us, and, and um, hopefully you'll get something out of my story. So let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts uh, be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So these three stories uh, um, kind of will, will show a little bit of why I'm here. And so I'm going to start with my first story, uh, sharing about a country. And in this country, about 140 years ago, uh, was when the first Protestant missionaries came to this little nation called Korea. Uh, it was the late 1880s, and uh, as the missionaries came, we, we have to admit the Catholics were there first, and so they, they laid some good work down. Um, there are some other, uh, other folks who had come in and, uh, and met some other Koreans and helped translate some of the Bible into the Korean language, Hangul. Uh, and, and some, even some missionaries who, who had become Christians in China had come back to Korea with this good news. And it was the 80s, and, and there's an explosion of, hey, we need to be sent into the world. The, the mission movements really here in the U.S. began um, at the turn of the century in that time period. And so it's during this time period that Christianity was first brought by um, Protestant missionaries to Korea. And it so happened that one of the first missionaries that came was a doctor, uh, and he brought his medical expertise along with a Presbyterian minister and a Methodist minister. And uh, together they worked, they, they worked well together. Uh, and one of the things they did was establish medical 
expertise, and um, e even today, especially with the old traditionalists, Western medicine is a little bit frowned upon. Uh, but um, the, the doctors who came, who came was, was well respected. Uh, and one of the reasons was that it just so happened that uh, the queen's nephew, a prince, was stabbed and hurt in a battle. And lo and behold, they took him to this Western doctor, this American. And this American actually um, helped his healing so quickly that uh, they kept him on the king's court. And he became what, what was described in one book I read, a white nobleman in the Korean court. And because of this medical mission, him making himself available, um, Western medicine was kind of accepted. Well, if the king's court is letting this happen, then, then, then maybe we can also let some of the medicine um, that we don't, aren't familiar with uh, be, be there to help treat us. Then the other part of the, the um, early missions to, to Korea was all about education, was all about teaching them how to read and write their own language, having schools for all ages. It was the Presbyterians that had the first school for women uh, for higher education. The first women's college uh, was a Presbyterian school. Uh, there's at one point more schools run by churches than there were by the government itself in Korea at the beginning of the 20th century. And it's in these things that God's good news was able to be proclaimed. You know, they provided for needs, physically, medicine, kind of like the work being done in Malawi. You know, when, when, when you do that, provide medicine, provide wells for folks, those are some of those basic needs. That buys you or, or earns you the right to be heard and to be there. And then they set up school systems. They helped change the whole system there for the government. And finally, good news was preached, a hopefulness of, hey, God is for you. And this would prove important. For those of you who have studied world history, we know uh, at the beginning part of the 20th century, a little nation called Japan had a lot of power. And they annexed all the lands around them, including China and Korea, and said, you are now going to be a Japanese state. They had the power. The Korean people, their rights were taken away from them. Their property was taken away from them. Their religion was eventually taken away for them. But it's important to know that those early missionaries set something up with the Korean church. There's a Chinese missionary called John Nevius, and he said, you know, if the church is going to flourish, three things need to happen. It needs to be self-propagating, self-governing, and self-supporting. The self-propagating was, you know, even if Western missionaries or American missionaries are going to come, it's not going to grow because those missionaries are going to go out and, and meet other people and bring them to Christ. It's going to be um, the, the, the Korean people reaching out to their family and their friends. And so person-to-person -person evangelism was huge. And, of course, that could only happen with a good dose of Bible study and, and, and training for their leaders. And so self-propagating happened. It wasn't about the missionaries growing the church, but about the church growing the church. Self-governing was a little bit trickier. And so the first time the Presbyterian church formed in Korea, it was about half Western missionaries and about half elders um, that were Korean. But slowly over the years, that changed. And it took about 15 years before the first Korean moderator 
was elected for the Korean Presbyterian Church. And finally, self-supporting. They told the, the, the church that if you want to grow, you're going to have to support yourself. Money's not just going to pour from countries like Canada and the U.S. And, uh, and Australia where the missionaries were being sent with. And there is a note that the Korean church, after it had formed, sent to the World Council of Churches that, that the moderator presented saying, Thank you, World Council of Churches, for not sending us money. Because you didn't send us money and put the burden back on us, we've had to own it ourselves. So they're self-propagating, self-governing, self-supported by the time the Japanese came in 1919. And that was important for the church because it was the church that put up the resistance. It was the church that could stand on its own. It was the church that said, hey, this isn't right. And eventually all the Western missionaries were kicked out of Korea by the Japanese. So can you imagine a church that, that was counting on the missionaries to lead their worship and to do their fundraising for them and to help make decisions for them? What would have happened? It would have collapsed. Well, me for one, am glad that the Korean church took on this flavor of, of how they wanted to run themselves because they struggled for the next 30, 40 years in resistance. But it was about 40 years later that another young Korean man was called to ministry. And he went to school at one of these Christian universities, colleges, that these Presbyterians had set up 50, 60 years before. And he felt this call to mission. And not just call to mission, and not just call to the church, he felt a call that I'm being called to be sent. He thought about the history of those missionaries who came 80 years before bringing medicine and school and education to his country and had a calling of, I want to take this somewhere else, another part of the world where they have yet to hear this good news of Jesus Christ, this hope that Jesus brings. Luckily, this young man found a, a young woman who, who followed him into this passion. And together they trained themselves to go and to go where Christianity was least prominent. And that was the Muslim world. So they packed up two little kids and left Korea in the early 70s and went to Bangladesh. Where the family was finally completed by a young strapping baby who was born there. But after Bangladesh, they then moved to Pakistan serving the Muslim community. And you know, my dad wanted to share good news. He wanted to let people know about Jesus. And it was a bit of a political turmoil then, but um, at that time, Pakistan was allowing Westerners to be there. But you had to earn the right to be heard. And the way the missionaries did that was, again, through literacy. I remember days where my dad would go out to the villages and he would sell the big books and I would get to sell the little books. And I'm not even sure what the little books were, but mostly kids my, my age or, or, or the younger ones came to me. And so I got to hand out the books, take the rupees and, and, and say, hey, this is how much money I raised for you today, dad. But it was about literacy, 
Later on, uh, we, uh, my parents partnered with a water project, kind of like what they're doing in Malawi, providing needs, raising up the nation so they could preach good news. Now, when my parents decided that they wanted to go to the Muslim world, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of people who said, you want to go where? Are you serious? Why would you take young kids to one of the poorest nations in the world where there is barely any medical coverage? There was even a complication with my birth and my mom had to go and my mom and dad sought out a, a, an American pastor who was in this remote village up in the mountains. And it was there that, that um, I, I was born. There's danger everywhere you go. You're not fully welcome there. Prostilization is illegal in most Muslim countries. Why would you take that risk? Well, from a kid's point of view, I had the time of my life. I didn't know better. This is what life I thought, this is what I thought life was all about. Being with friends from all different countries of the world, including national, Pakistan nationals, going to boarding school. Of course, when I went, I was too young, so I was with my parents the first couple of years. I couldn't wait till I could go to boarding school like my older brother and sister. And of course, that boarding school where, where we were left for six months um, of the year, um, I got to wake up to monkeys outside my window in the morning and got to go out and explore nature. And we, we, our school was up in the Himalayan mountains, and so we hiked. Um, we did so many uh, cool different things. And as a kid, that was just my life. I had friends from all over Europe, had Australian friends, American friends, Pakistani friends. We had a cool um, boarding mother who was like our second mother, Auntie Eunice, and we're still in contact today. It was awesome for me as a little kid. Now I can say my experience as a missionary kid might be different than others. Others might have had different experiences in, in going to boarding school and being raised in a different culture, but I know for myself, I loved every moment of it. Even the moment where someone told me I could get homesick and I'm like, oh, What's being homesick? And this is a full month after we gone to boarding school. And guess what? Because I knew I could be homesick the whole next month. I was homesick because they told me what I could do. Later in life, I, I, I reprimanded them as best as a, a second grader could. That I can't believe you told me I could do that. But that was all part of my experience growing up. But more important than any of that, was what I learned just by being in my family. Faith wasn't showing up on a Sunday morning and going to church. Faith wasn't even how much of the Bible we could learn and memorize, which we, we did plenty of that as well. Faith wasn't about chapel services that we went to weekly. Faith was what we lived each and every day, wherever we were. In my life, it just so happened to be in Pakistan for the first many years of my life. Now, even as I reflect back on that, I, I reflect now, 35 years later, on where God is calling me. 
how is Jesus speaking to me today? Am I hearing this mission, calling, of proclaiming good news, of protecting the vulnerable, of providing for the needs of the world? You know, I think as we, me and my wife, consider mission out in the world, we get those same questions today. Is it safe? What about your little kids? What's the healthcare gonna be like? What if you die? And there are all those things to consider. But if we're listening to God's voice, if we're listening to God's call, that's what I wanna pass on to my kids. That's been my prayer for Evie and now Isaiah and Alexis. Not that they'd grow up to be good kids, but that they would grow up and hear God's voice and be faithful enough to follow it. And if that's my prayer for my kids, guess what? That better be my prayer for myself as well. We're in the midst of trying to figure out where God might be calling us and listening to God's voice and hoping that we have enough faith to say, yes, God, send me where you would. And that might be somewhere literally across the end of the world or the other side of the world, or maybe that might be to another place here in Detroit or another neighborhood. But friends, it's all about where God is sending us. It's not about where we're gathered. God is sending each and every one of you, each and every one of us, out. You know, Jesus talked a lot about mission. Jesus talked a lot about politics, a lot about money. What he didn't talk a lot about was worship. And I think partly it was because worship was just something the Jewish people knew. They knew that they were supposed to worship. There's only actually two instances where he directly talked about worship. And one was with the woman at the well who asked, where's the right place to worship? And he simply said, you know, you worship in spirit and truth. Um, And the second one was about when he's having the conversation with the devil at the um, temptation before he begins his ministry. And of course, the devil says, worship me and I'll give you the world. And Jesus says, no, we worship God and God alone. Really, if we're talking specifically about worship, those might be the only two cases where Jesus directly talked about it. But Jesus talked a lot about what God's kingdom should look like. Jesus talked a lot about where we should be putting our resources, putting our money where our mouth is. Jesus talked a lot about bringing healing to a broken world. Jesus talked a lot about proclaiming hope for the hopeless. Brothers and sisters, it's a pretty awesome privilege for us to be gathered here. But let this be the least of what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus is sending us forth. And when you go out into the world and you're looking at people's needs, and you're fighting to protect the most vulnerable, and you're claiming and proclaiming good news, then lives will be changed. Communities will be changed. And yes, even the world will be changed. 
one part of the story I left out was that my dad got really sick while we were in Pakistan. There was a time maybe he rallied, and it was at this time that um, the, the, the doctors there said, you know, maybe you should return home or maybe try to get a visa to the U.S. to get some better medical training. My dad wrote in a letter to one of his friends that his heart was with the Muslim people in Pakistan. And even if he died there, he would be okay with that because at least he would die where his heart was. This is while he was getting better. Shortly after that, things turned for the worse. And in a quick two weeks, my father had passed away. Now, as a young kid, I didn't understand. It was one of those things, too, where I didn't know what homesick was. I didn't understand what was going on. And so my brother and sister were crying. And so I'm like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to cry as well. But as I've grown, I've come to understand the depths of what that meant. On my father's gravestone, which is still in Pakistan, is um, Acts 20, 24, which talks about how, where, where Paul talks about his only hope, his only goal is that he might finish the race, finish the calling God put in his life. Now in our lives, many of us don't know whether we'll actually die for our faith. And when we look at the martyrs, we sometimes wonder, if I was in that position, would I do that? But what's more important than dying for our faith is the fact that each of these martyrs decided to live for their faith. This is my invitation to each and every one of you. Not that you might go and die, but are you willing to live in your life right now? Are you willing to be sent? My hope and my prayer is that all of us would say yes. Here I am. Send me. Amen. Let us stand together and affirm what we believe using words from a brief, a brief statement of faith. We trust in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, preaching good news to the poor and release to the captives, teaching by word and deed and blessing the children, healing the sick and binding up the brokenhearted eating with outcasts, forgiving sinners, and calling all to repent and believe the gospel. Friends, know that we are sent into the world. This is what being a Christian is about, being sent. And wherever God sends you, go proclaiming good news, protecting the vulnerable, and providing for those in need.